just as you think about a talk with a good friend, they need us curious enough, empathic enough, uh, ready to have their back in a way that won't burden them back with, oh my God, I just ruined my mom's day, or she's over-identifying with me, so maybe I shouldn't tell her anything. I think that any parent's dream is to be their child's first phone call when something goes wrong, but we need to earn that. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of season two, Bite Your Tongue, the podcast. Ellen and I are so excited once again to produce two episodes a month that we hope will get all our listeners to think, grow, and continue to build healthy relationships with our adult children. This season, we'll continue to talk to experts on issues related to building these healthy relationships. But we also hope to explore this unique stage of life when the nest is empty and we need to rediscover ourselves. We're also adding a few special episodes that will answer listener questions. We're calling these episodes, We're On It, meaning send us a question and we'll find the most experienced experts to address it. Our first We're On It will be on January 21st, and we're going to ask about what parents might do when they believe their adult children are engaged in dangerous behavior. We've found two great experts, and we hope you'll join us for this episode. In the meantime, if you have something you'd like us to get on, just write us your question at biteyourtonguepodcast at gmail.com. Now let's get on to our first episode, season two. Today, we're welcoming Enot Nathan. She's with us from Tel Aviv. She is the mother of five children, a parenting expert, author, and counselor in her own clinic. Her first book, My Everything, was released in Israel in 2018 and became an instant bestseller. She became a national celebrity in Israel. This year, it was translated to English. I read a review of the book in the New York Times. They raved about it. The book is now a number one bestseller on Amazon and praised by media around the world. I ordered the book and I could not put it down. Yes, her book focuses more on young children, but in each chapter, I saw a connection to my life now as a person and as a parent of two young adult children. I want you to bear with us. We had some technical difficulties during this episode, but her words are so strong and compassionate. We think you'll really love it. Welcome, Enot Nathan. We are overjoyed to have you with us. Thank you so much. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into writing about this compassionate parenting. You know, we all read the tips and tricks and all that sort of thing, but your book has been compared or been said to be the loving answer to the battle hymn of the tiger mom and will transform how readers look at raising children, resonating across cultures. How did you come to this? I think it was a a part of my journey as a professional parenting counselor and as a mom. Uh, When I was a young mom, I always looked up to the, you know, know know-it-all experts and they always end up making me feel like there was something wrong with me or there was something wrong with my children. 
And I was trying to find the most effective way to give young parents, you know, accessible information they could use without, without the guilt. And it didn't make sense that, you know, people that went through this journey just had it all figured out. So I, I, cho- I, I think I chose honesty and vulnerability. And, and I started to speak out in the name of this, this journey that some, you know, parenting is, is, is the most crucial thing we'll ever do. It never ends. And, and, and it doesn't make sense to have a recipe. It doesn't. You're so right. There are no recipes. Now, remember, our listeners today are mostly parents of adult children. And this is a huge new study, the emerging adult from 19 to 30 years old. You know, each of us followed all the recipes while we were raising our children. We tried our best. We wish we would have had your book. How can we take what's in your book and apply it to our life now? I think that with a lot of modesty <laughs> and with big antennas, we can see that it's 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 the same theme over and over again. You know, it's about having no control. It's about a lot of respect to raising different people, different than us, different from each other. It's about putting our ego aside. And it's about remembering that we'll always be in a role. We'll always be their parents. You know, it's not so rewarding, but it is in a way. What do you mean by that? It is in a way. I think, of course, I'm talking, you know, from my personal experience. I think that when I have the days that I'm succeeding in, you know, being there for them without my childhood pains, without my ego, without my small notebook, you know, that keeps core of everything I've done for them and everything they haven't done for me. When I have these days, you know, it's so rewarding because you can see within the dialogue, within their eyes, everything that you need to hear in order to get your ego hugged in a way. Let's talk about ego for a minute. You bring that up quite a bit in your book. Why is it so important and how does it help us by putting our ego to the side? I think that my oldest son, uh, which is 22 now, I think that he taught me this role. Uh, He was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half. I was so looking forward to being his mom or anyone's mom. I went through a long journey of having stillbirth, having, you know, losing many pregnancies. And then he came, you know, every parent has a fantasy and, I think that anyone that knows me, even for a short while, knows that the biggest thing with me is communication. I I, I love talking to people and I love listening to people and I get nuances. and, and, And here I am with the child I've been waiting for, you know, having difficult to communicate. Oh, yeah. 
And the skies dropped on me. And I was trying to figure out what's the lesson or how can I be a parent for him? How can I go to war? Because parenting a child with autism is, is going to war. The first thing that I took on myself is to put my pain aside and to put my worries aside and to put the whole package of like 50 tons that made me everything I've done with this baggage on for him in brackets was not really for him. It was to make my pain go away. It was to uh, worry less. It was to, I figured out that when I disconnect from my ego, from my pain, from, from the looks of pity, from what people will think, from how will we go on? Will he ever, you know, have an independent life? He was only two and a half years old. And, <laughs> you know, I needed to teach him everything. And, and he needed to look into my eyes and see in them that he's going to be okay. And in order to do that, I needed to, to put a wall between my ego, my worries, my needs, my fantasy, and, you know, the crash of it, or, you know, figure out what he needs. And so I'm not talking about it just for parents with children with special needs, because every child has special needs. He was my mentor for my other, you know, four amazing children. But I was already understanding the gap between the parent that cannot let go of worry, of heartbreak, of, you know, all this package that we all carry with us. And that brings me right to this paragraph I want to share from your book. I wish you had it in front of you because you could read it much better than I. But no, I'll I wouldn't. Up. It's not in my language, by the way. This oh, is that's the right. That's where right. I say, I swear to God that in Hebrew, I sound smart. <laughs> <laughs> when you have a child, a little room opens up in our heart with his name on it. In this room lie our deepest wishes for him. And at the top of that list, is that his heart will not get broken, that he doesn't experience loneliness, shame, bitter, failure, hardships, that he won't get offended, that, he's, that he will have an easy path and he will be happy with his lot because happiness widens the heart. The problem is that every time this child copes with a breakup or hardship, something in our heart also breaks a little. And when our hearts are broken, we are no longer at our best. We are no longer sharp enough to produce what our child needs from us. This resonated with me so much because as our children grow and they are so much more separated from us, our feelings, we feel their pain 
so much from a distance. You know, we can't be right there and, you know, see how they're solving the fight with Judy in second grade. But suddenly they're going through a divorce. They're losing a job. They're uh, failing a class, whatever it might be. And when we feel bad, you say we're not at our best. How do we take this and be at our best for them? I think that just by understanding that in order to be in our best for them, we need to be in our worst when we're not with them. We need our partner or our best friend or our shower or our pillow or our therapist in order to, to lean and, and get our hearts, you know, fixed. But just as you think about a talk with a good friend, they need us, you know, curious enough empathic enough, uh, ready, you know, to have their back in a way that won't burden them back with, oh my God, I just ruined my mom's day or she's over identifying with me. So maybe I shouldn't tell her anything. I, I think that any parent's dream is to be their child's first phone call when something goes wrong. But we need to earn that. And in order to be there for them, even to ask, honey, is there anything I can do to make you feel better? When we get into that role of, okay, I'm collecting myself. I'm in a role right now. I'm, I'm pushing my tears down. I, I, she can see that I'm with her, but it's not about me. It's about her. And, you know, in the exact form, when she came home from preschool and she told me that no one played with her today and I didn't break down and I didn't give her advice and I didn't just cut the conversation and call the teacher in order to fix it out. I was brave enough just to witness her pain. And I think that we're so into taking away pain that we we miss out of the biggest present that, you know, a close relationship can get or can have. You know, as you're saying this, I'm thinking when you say talking to a best friend, when we talk to a best friend, we are a better friend than we are to our children because we're not as invested or vested. It's not about our ego, how this ends up. We're so helpful because it's not about us. And that just makes me realize so much that when we talk to our kids inside, it's about us. It's not any support to them. Not at all. But, you wow. know, it's, it's, it's the same. It's amazing because I talk to young parents. Sometimes I give the, the example of imagine you've made a large fruit salad. Okay. And you worked a lot on it and you're going to a dinner party with friends and, and you ask your child or your partner to hold it for a second and it drops on the floor and everything, you know, your best friend would have hold it and dropped it. You would probably say something like shit, <laughs> then say, you know, no worries, you know, everything's okay. And she would say, I'm sorry, I feel so bad. And, and you would honestly 
honestly, just give her a pass. And when we are inside the relationship of the nuclear family, we don't have enough oxygen in our tank to be kind. So it's the same thing and even harder when there's adversity, when we think differently, when we want to say, I told you so. Next time, listen to me. But it's about practice, I think. Because we all know as adults, what have we learned? I've learned the, the biggest lessons in my life from getting my heart broken. We can't spare them. As long as we don't relate it to our own heart. And that's the hardest thing. You know, we can, meaning that they can get their heart broken. We can be there, but our heart shouldn't be broken at the same time. I think that's really hard. You know, I look back on my own life and we... I loved my mother and you wrote a wonderful uh, chapter about your mother and how much you loved her, but you know, you still have the same anger or upset about whatever it was. I never told my mother when something bad was going on because I felt like I would break her heart. I didn't want her to know that I was struggling. I remember the first time in my life I went to a therapist or I went on an antidepressant. I would have never shared it with her because she would have freaked out. Yeah, exactly. And I think that we're raising, you know, we have a different pandemic, which is the emotional pandemic that we're dealing with right now, that we are not raising people that know to reach out back at us or they they go to the screens, they go to YouTube, they go to peers, they go to people, you know, that can't give them this safe space of finishing the cycle of negative emotions, talking about it, letting it out, not necessarily getting the advice, but just the good old conversations that we know, right? That that we know from relationship with the best friend. And we are supposed to be that station, but we need to work really hard for it. The most important thing. And I think sometimes it comes down to fear. And also when you show that anxiety, you're giving them the message that you don't have confidence in them, that they're going to get through the breakup, it seems to me. Do you think that's true? When you say fear, what do you mean? Fear of failure, like not giving them the confidence. When you show their your anxiety, to them, they get the message that you don't have the confidence that they will get through this. Yeah, I think that it belittles them. I think that that mostly they look up to us, no matter how old they are, if we've done a good job, as the narrators of their story. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we have this present, this opportunity to be the positive narrators even when something negative happens. When I look at my child that went through this failure journey now with the university or with his girlfriend or in the army, in my case, you know, just pick up, just pick a child. We have it every day. (laughs) And I nod and I hear and I I take a break and, you know, I ask again, And I say, oh, my God, tell me more. And he 
And then the conversation shifts to, do you want to hear what I'm hearing? And then I'm rephrasing it. And then I will ask, do you want to hear what I think? And Mm -hmm. I always say, I think I can see that you're struggling or I can see the pain, but I know, I know you. (laughs) Oh my God, I know you since I've held you for the first time. I know you so well. And I know that you're going to get through this. I don't know how, I don't know what will be the end, but I have, I'm definite that this is, you know, the hardest point in this journey. And I'm so glad I have the opportunity just to, and and I know you probably want to shove me away and say, and say, how do you know, or don't take my pain away. So I'm not taking your pain away, but I'm here If you give me a second just to tell you that I know, I'm holding that thought for you when you don't know. Now we can dive inside your pain. Now we can, you know, and this is being a positive narrator. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know how much I need someone to tell me today when I'm 50? I know you're going to be fine. We all want someone that knows us to know. Mm -hmm. That's so true. So true. Um, I'm going to move to another topic here. You say in your book, kids are the best psychotherapy available to a conscious person. They take us back to the landscape of our own painful or thrilling childhoods. They are always the first to identify our weak spots. But most of the time, they are a deep mirror that confronts us with the fact that we never were and never will be perfect. This seems even more true as our children become adults. Can you expand on that a little bit, what you mean by that that thought? Of course, you have five hours. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, do your best in our short time. (laughs) I think that it begins with them, you know, just taking a front seat in our show, you know, they're watching us for 20 years, for 30 years. They know us at our best, at our worst. They know our weak spots. And when they're teenagers, they rub it in our face. You know, when a teenager has a tantrum or a rage or aggression, he's going to tell you what he thinks about you. And it doesn't sound sweet like when he was four and he said, you're stupid mom, or I want a different mom. He's going to say everything. So we get this mirror that triggers us. But if we're not sensitive enough, this is the only mirror we'll get. I think that most of the time we have an opportunity to look at the places where we feel like we're stuck in the relationship with them. We feel like we're not supplying, we're not living up to their expectations. We feel like, you know, triggered. We feel like we're not there for them as we are, for example, for their sibling. Or because, you know, every child will take you through a different journey. And we need to be sensitive enough to ask ourselves the question, why, when she breaks down, 
do I get so overwhelmed? And when he does, I'm so cool and good with it. Then I get the fact that when she breaks down, I go back to being this 18-year-old adolescence that nobody saw. And, you know, nobody took the effort to find out why she's hurting. And I had to erase myself in order for my parents not to worry. And I'm not willing to erase myself anymore. But now, who am I confronting? He is just me at the age of 20 fighting with me at the age of 50. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I'm, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. Um, it's a hard concept. So it's a trigger. And we need to recognize the trigger by the places, you know, where we're frustrated, where we are, when we feel like we're not the answer for them as we would have thought we mm-hmm. would have. If you'd give me an example for something you're struggling with, I can use that to explain, but it's, it's there. Okay. Let let me think about that. I might get back to it. If I can come up with something. I Um, was sitting this week with a mother. I I have a private practice five days a week. And there was a mother, 26 year old adult, you know, who's living away from home. And she was just talking on and on about the car insurance that her daughter won't do on time or won't make the phone call on time. And she was driving her insane because she was not safe. And it's the third year she's like making phone calls and and asking her and begging her to make the insurance because she can't drive without the insurance. And I asked this tiny question about why is it that a 26 or 27-year-old independent girl that she raised so well, why does it trigger in such a way that I told her that I see a frustrated child in front of me? She's she's not listening to me. She's not. And then she began to cry because because I've asked her to talk about childhood experiences when the bottom line was something scary is going to happen and they're not listening to me. I get it. I get it. That makes it much clearer. Yeah, much clearer. And I, I was trying to think of a situation. I thought of one, but it's similar to what you said. So I don't think we'll go in into that. I want to talk a little bit about relationships. You say at the beginning of the book, parenting is all about relationships. And that's what really also resonated with me, because I think those relationships have to really evolve as your child becomes an adult. And I feel like I have not done a good job, to be honest with you, of letting that relationship evolve, because you have to let go, you have to let your ego aside, all of those kinds of things. But it's never too late, you know? I know. And that's why I'm here with you. So help us with that. A parent who thinks, you know, maybe they haven't done the best job at evolving that relationship. Where do we start? How do we look at that? How do we look at ourselves differently, our child differently? Help us with that. 
I think that we have to start with a lot of compassion to ourselves because no one taught us relationship. Because when we grew up, it wasn't about relationship. It was about survival. It was about, you know, just keeping them alive or, you know, raising children that would be doctors or lawyers or, you know, that that can support themselves. So the evolution brought us to a place where we were privileged to talk relationship, but it's new and we don't know how. And I think that the first go-to would be any close and intimate relationship that we are already a part of. And it will always be about, you know, value, self-value or acknowledging the other one's value and about, you know, putting criticism aside. It would be about just, you know, celebrating someone else's existence with your eyes, wanting or seeking closeness, wooing after them, seeing what there is instead of, you know, focusing on what needs to repair. I think just by starting with that, I don't know any adult that can resist the the temptation of this station in your life that promises from now on to always see what there is, to always be the good narrators, to celebrate your presence, to be thankful for any phone call. And still, you know, with a lot of humbleness, know that we are not the main characters in their show, in their play, but we are very important ones. Can, can we ever say to them, I haven't done a good job and I want to do better? Oh, as my we're, God. As we're yes. it? Well, I'm just asking, or do we just try to do it? Or can we say, you know, I'm not sure I've, I, I've let worry get in the way. I've let my ego get in the way. I want to be a positive narrator, as you say. Or is it better just to do? I think that it depends on you know, what the purpose of the saying is, because I don't want to say in order for them to take this away from me. I don't want to say, you know, I didn't do a good job in order for them to say, ah, you did an okay job. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, I I don't want to be seeking for their help. Right. But I can say that it's like apologizing, I don't want to say sorry and then say, but mm-hmm. I was never taught. I was never brought that way. I, w- I just want to acknowledge the fracture in order to repair. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That makes sense. So I mentioned this sort of in the last sentence, but you dedicated an entire chapter to worry. And you say that when we worry, we miss out. Help me with that. Oh, my God. <laughs> think about it. You know, I can talk about my worries. It's, it, it's, it's always there. We all worry. I don't think that there's a muscle that we can untouch and, or, or, okay, now I've read the book and I'm going to stop worrying. I think that we need to understand that worries like guilt, by the way, is they're not here to serve the purpose of 
you know, the presence or they're not here to make us do something different. They're here to, to point to us something that we need to circuit between us and ourselves and, you know, all the equality circuits that we have in our lives. I think that when we worry, we focus about the future. It's never about the present. It's mm-hmm. never okay. about the present. And, and do you think that's the same? You have a, a you talk about anxiety being a misleading emotion. Is that coupled in the same thing with worry, guilt, anxiety, or is there a difference? Can you explain what you mean when you say anxiety? Um, anxiousness, meaning this might happen. So I sort of couple it with with worry. Um, I think that anxiety is something that becomes a part of the family atmosphere. When worries are something very, you know, it has a beginning and an end. And to have anxious parents is something that it's a part of, it's it's the atoms of the air that they breathe Mm -hmm. and they take it with them. Whether we give the anxiety words or we don't. And we know that today from research, even on pregnant mom, that after delivery, the children were born with higher adrenaline and cortisol levels inside their, you know, brain blood system than babies to mothers that weren't anxious. So, It's something that we should take care of, you know, in general, in therapy and drugs, whatever (laughs) we need. When we talk about anxiety, we talk about something very contaminating that is present. You can feel it in a room. You can. And, And we all saw the differences now in COVID in children's functioning when they came out of houses where there weren't anxiety and they were just, let's go back to routine as opposed to children, you know, that needed so much help and still do because someone there, again, it doesn't need to be said in words. Children feel it no matter how, you know, if, if my daughter is pregnant and I'm anxious, and I pick up the phone, just answering, everything's okay. She feels it. It's like, it's the air they breathe. So it's it's a different thing that worries. Everything you're saying just hits me so hard. And I hope, and well, I mean, it's important, but I hope some of our listeners resonated with it too, because I'm an extremely anxious person. And much of it comes from life experiences and such. But when you said that, answer the phone, what's wrong? Um, When my kids call out of the blue, I say, is everything okay? And there it is, right there. There it is. There it is, right there. And I I hope my kids listen to this episode because they will laugh out loud because they say, mom, calm down, you know, whatever. You know what my my trick is? Mm. I see the phone and I say before I click the button, is everything okay? And then I, and then I click the button and say, hi, baby. Yeah. 
Yeah. So we need well, to talk with ourselves. You know, it's the same thing. So that brings me to throughout your book, you give some statements um, that were helpful for parents. And I wonder how we can relate some of these to young adults or if you have any that you'd offer. A couple I pulled out was when your child's angry, I understand that you're angry with me or I'm sorry. You talked about those two phrases being really important. Why are they so powerful? And what other phrases do you think are important when anxiety, anger, argument, whatever it might be, come between a parent and an adult child? I think that when we communicate with our children and they're in distress, and we've talked about it since the Mm -hmm. beginning of the episode, and we have the ability to take a deep breath and understand that our job is to facilitate this space for their negative emotions to come out and for their story to be shared in order for them to be mentally well. And it was never, ever about behavior, you know, going back. It's what I'm trying to tell young parents. You can't ask yourself, why does he behave like this? Or try to control the behavior. You always have to be this detective that sees underneath the behavior and allows the world of emotions to come out and play. So when we get the stage or the front seat for negative emotions, we need to understand that this is placing therapy. This is the magic wand. This is the first and the most important job that we get to do in front of our children because they might not have a different place to go to with negative emotions. They, you know, they can definitely not do that at work. They cannot do that when they suspect that someone won't accept them or love them as they are. So think about them coming back from a battlefield and it's not opening the door. It's just making a phone call. So now they're making this phone call. It's like the garbage truck just came over, you know, reversed and we're, (laughs) they're piling up their garbage over us and we are supposed to say "Hmm, that's very interesting let's talk about it (laughs) I think that until we won't get that this is the number one mission I think that Banksy said we are willing to do everything everything for our children except to accept them for who they are I think that you need to say that one more time we are willing to do everything for our children except to accept them for who they are. And I think that I can talk about my pain. I never, ever found that place that can, you know, 100% not put me in a test or, you know, send me the message, you can rest. You're okay even when you're not okay. And I get this opportunity to raise young, and they're still young, they're my babies, adults that in a way 
when I do that for them, I'm kind of hugging the child that wasn't given the opportunity just to be. You just said that so beautifully. You also talk about your book when you get to adolescence, you say parenting an adolescent is a separate mission. Well, we've done that. And we think parenting an adult child is a separate mission. <laughs> Any thoughts on that? How do you see parenting as adult child as a separate mission? Well, they're out of your home. Mm-hmm. They're completely independent. I never mm-hmm. felt it when they went off to college um, because mm-hmm. they came home for vacations. You were mm-hmm. still footing the bill. Um, you were still a parent. Okay. So I think when they're really on their own, they're supporting themselves. They have a relationship in their life that is more important than you. And it should be, whether it be their partner or their spouse, you become secondary. And so you're not sure of what your role is. It's a confusing role. You're not really a parent anymore. Um, Although in your mind, you're always a parent, but you you're released from the day to day. It's a whole transition that we don't know what to do with or don't know what our role is. So it becomes more and more difficult, I think. I think that this role takes a lot of, it's, it, we need to figure it out differently with every child. Maybe go back to our experience as separate adults and you know our dreams of what our parents were supposed to be or what we wished them to be and they weren't or what they did amazingly. And I think just by starting with what they did good, this is something that we all do. And it's a a good start, whether it is to make one phone call a day or whether it is to be the one that says, I'm not giving up on seeing you twice a year or once a month, or if we're close So let's work out the terms and condition of the deal. I am willing to, you know, reserve a hotel or a vacation. I'm willing to cook the best food. You you know, I'm here. I'm here to let you know that I don't depend on you making me pleased or happy, but I do depend on being in touch. Just, I miss you, baby. You know, without the, without the, don't feel guilty. I'm without not. Without the guilt. Right. Yeah. And without I'm saying it. I'm saying right. it. Well, and I think it's hard because we also then compare ourselves to others. There are some parents of adult children where the child lives down the street and they see them every day or the child calls every, you know, I'm sometimes with a friend where they're getting a call from their daughter four times during the meal. And I think, did I hear from my daughter this week? Um, And so my expectations become greater because I see what others have. But then I think, well, my child's living a very rewarding life. I'm in touch. And I think what you said is exactly right. I don't demand that you please me. And that you that I'm the most important relationship in your life, but I do demand and demands a strong word that we're in touch. I will go with demand, but with well, the humor, <laughs> you know, with the humor. Okay, okay. Oh my god, humor. I do okay, demand. Okay. I do demand. Man, but if you so me. Yeah, 
I will just send you, you know, my ugly face in, in, a, in a WhatsApp shot or whatever. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I will send you a picture of a baby crying so you'll remember me. But, but Right, right. Um, I'm going to ask two more things and then we're going to get to the end of this. But you also said... But I wanted to say something okay, about go ahead. what you said about... Okay. We're so good at comparing we're so good at, and I really want people to know, and it's, it's an advice that I give teenagers as well, because what we do is compare the outside of something with the inside of us. And it's not fair. We always look at someone else's perfect picture without the struggle, without the multi-layers, without the complexity. And we, we try to figure out why it's not the same with us when what we do is compare our worries or our inside or our insecurity with the fact that she got for phone calls or with the fact that she posted on Instagram her child kissing her and hugging her and I said my sons don't like to hug me so it's it's never that simple and when we parent adult children I don't think that we talk enough about shame I don't think that we talk enough about the feeling of failure. I don't think that we talk enough about our vulnerability or the, the, the hard parts in that journey. But when we were young moms, we sat at the playground and we talked about what she was eating and how she threw a tantrum in the, in the mall and everyone felt normal. As they grow up, we, we don't talk enough. And we can be our support group. And I think the reason we don't talk enough is because of that ego getting in the way. When they're little, they're not done. They're still growing. When they get older, we, we feel responsible for the failure or the dropping out of college or the drug addiction or whatever it might be. We tend not to talk about it because our ego and our shame gets in the way, I think. But, but when we do talk about it, I promise you. I promise you, because I see people every day, we will see that this is comparing an inside with an inside. Absolutely. It's not about sitting in a dinner party and talking about him making CEO or about her losing 20 pounds or about, <laughs> you know, my perfect grandchildren. It's about let, let's talk about life. Oh, my God. You are 100% right. I moved to Denver from New York City. And one of the reasons I love New York so much is because everyone talks real. And some of it's the anonymity. You may never see the bus driver or the person sitting next to you on the subway again. So you tell them everything and they tell you everything. But at the dinner party, you don't. I think we all should do. I agree with you. Two more quick things. You talk about the child needing to be seen. I think this is true for young adults too. Even though they're young adults, they're still your children. What are some techniques to help our children feel seen as young adults, even if they're not with us? What do you mean by make them feel seen? Hmm. Again, I'm sending you to a thinking, to thought process about 
you know, the best friend. When she says hello, you know, when I'm when I'm cooking in the kitchen and I'm, I'm and I'm dialing and she says hello, I can ask, is everything okay? And she will say, yeah, why are you asking? And I would say, I heard a, a, something in your voice. Maybe you woke up just by not with anxiety. It's not the everything okay. It's the curiosity. It's the it's the thing that makes I want to be the platform or the place or the phone call or or the, the 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 bus station that will symbolize for them here you are seen. But it doesn't mean that you don't have to talk or you don't have to share. It's not that I see that you need to go to the toilet. The young moms that say, I think you need to go to the, just <laughs> let him tell you he needs to go to the toilet. No, it's that I'm, I'm leaning in with a different soundtrack. Tell me something, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with this open invitation. Again, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Curiosity. It's it's more than that. You, you remember when? Oh my god, I, I can cry when I remember. You remember when they were babies and they woke up from the nap and they opened their eyes and we were waiting them to to say the, <gasps> you know, absolutely morning. Yes, and yes. then we picked them up from kindergarten and when the door opened and we saw all these children and we 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 detected our own and you know our eyes lit and then it's the same thing it's this it's it's this emotional state of oh my god i don't care if you have two seconds to give me it's not my ego asking why are you always calling me for the from the train or why don't you ever call when you're you know it's not that it's it's like anything that you're giving me i'll take so beautiful so what i usually ask my guests when we close what would you want our listeners to take away from this conversation <laughs> I just, I just want people to remember that no matter how many mistakes we have made, we are their only parents. And just by being their only parents, just by being their only mom or their only other mom or their only dad or the doesn't matter, we are the best. We got a role. And it's never late. And people at the end of their lives never, ever regret the car they didn't buy or the, the, the job they didn't take. It always the time I didn't spend or the relationship I wasn't invested in enough. So, so just by understanding that we are the best just because we are theirs. And they are the best just because they're ours and nature made it. It's the genius of nature. We can own that. And we can take accountability for every minute or every day or put aside criticism and worry and, and cherish closeness 
and relationship and friendship and trust and dignity and just think I, I I'm going back to this again because I have the privilege of losing my mom and having this empty space where where, where I can project you know and say if she was here, I can project the perfect story. And I know that if she was here, it was far away from being perfect. But I'm using that in order to be that person in their lives. And it doesn't always work. But I, I wake up every morning reminding myself that if I've done this, I've been a good mom today. Thank you so much. Um, before I say goodbye to you, I just want to know, can you share with us what your next book is about since it's already in Hebrew? Of course. It's okay, a, tell us about it quickly. It's about teenagers. It's getting... Oh, okay. And then the next one's going to be young adults, right? I think that teenagers already takes us there. Oh, that's probably true. That's and, probably true. And hopefully, yeah, I, I want to be a grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. I know. Well, that anyway, I'm, I'm in the same boat, but I, I have yeah. no pressure. I, I want yeah. them to live their lives. Anyway, Enoch, this has been such a pleasure. Thank I feel so, so grateful that you responded to me and that you agreed to speak today. So thank you so much. And thank you for your writing, your mind, your thoughts, and your compassion. And I want to say something back at you that I heard in the subtext of, you know, the pain and guilt that we all share as mothers. Just by having this conversation with you, I think I want to I be your child. I want to be your daughter because <laughs> I'm serious. There is something about the, the safe space. There is something about the, your good eyes or y- your kindness that comes through in a way that is so authentic. And I, I want to thank you for this hour of making this space for me when, when I'm talking a language that I don't know well enough, when I'm, you know, anxious, when I need to know if I'm understood. And I felt like I'm so happy that I got to Zoom with you because... Thank you. No, seriously, because when we we get to, I think it's I think it's another tip with, that we can give our listeners that although you know texting is great, I'm I'm not you know technology is great. There's nothing like looking at each other's eyes and and just feeling safe. You're so, so right. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. And I know it's nighttime in Israel. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you. And um, happy New Year. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Yeah. All right. Take care. Thank you again so much. I'm ending this episode with a very deep breath. Enoch brought to life in her extraordinary words the challenges and joys of being a parent to an adult child. I really hope all of you will take some time to read the book, My Everything. It's available on Amazon, and it's worth it for whatever stage of parenting you are in. Thanks so much for listening, and remember to share this episode with a friend and follow us on social media. 
I also want to thank Connie Fisher, our software engineer, who continues to work her magic. All right, today's a wrap. Episode one, season two. Another episode will drop in two weeks. And in the meantime, remember, sometimes you may just have to bite your tongue.